Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Dr. Ken Berry is a board-certified family physician who has practiced medicine for more than a decade. In 1996, he received a Bachelor of Science degree with honors in animal biology and psychology from Middle Tennessee State University. In 2000, he received his MD from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. He has been awarded the degree of fellow by the American Academy of Family Physicians. Dr. Berry's practice is concentrated on prevention and health optimization. He focuses his treatment paradigm on obesity and chronic diseases caused by the standard American diet. He has made it his mission to turn the tide of the epidemics of type 2 diabetes, chronic inflammation, and dementia. During his years in practice, Dr. Berry has been collecting lies that his patients have been told by other doctors and even by himself, and he has worked to get to the truth behind important health subjects like antibiotics, dietary cholesterol, and exercise. Dr. Berry and his wife live on a farm in rural Tennessee, They have four children and one on the way, three dogs, two cats, and seven peacocks. Dr. Barry is a man on a mission. Dr. Ken Barry, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is a real treat. We've been looking forward to talking to you. Uh, you are such an inspirational uh, man and doing such incredible work. Can you just, for the few of our listeners that don't know you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your story? Sure. I'm a family physician. I've been practicing for almost 20 years. Uh, we had a, a clinic fire recently and lost a clinic in Camden, and we've relocated to Nashville, and I'm looking for a situation here to kind of open up a a part-time practice so I can continue to practice actual medicine. Um, I wrote a little book a few years back that uh, it seems like is doing pretty well. And uh, the whole reason I got involved and interested in nutrition is because I myself got sick and fat. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I had no interest whatsoever in human nutrition. I, I thought that I guess I, looking back now, I thought that humans were somehow magical. Like I, I understood that if you fed a dog or a cat the wrong diet, they would get fat. They would get sick. They, their hair would fall out. They would die early. 
but somehow I just felt like humans could just eat whatever and it was fine. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure looking back now why I thought such a stupid thing, but that's, uh, you know, I was very slender, very fit. I could eat whatever. And so I just assumed that somehow our metabolism magically turned junk into, you know, sexy skin and muscle and hair. And, but about, when about 35 years of age, I started to gain weight, get fat. I became pre-diabetic at my, at my sickest. I was 297 pounds, had an A1C of 6.1. Uh, just everything I had was inflamed and didn't work like it should. And so I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a country boy and I'm all about common sense. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever for a fat, sick, miserable doctor to come into a patient's exam room and then proceed to counsel them on how to be a healthy human and, and, and what diet to eat. That, that kind of looks ridiculous when I see that in my mind's eye. And so I started reading outside of my medical box and, you know, reading about ancestral diets and, and Weston A. Price and, and uh, read Mark Sisson's book and Lauren Cordain's book. And I said, you know, I think maybe it does matter what you eat. And it maybe specifically it matters what you eat. And so I started trying to implement some of those strategies and immediately started to lose weight. My A1C started to come down. My inflammation started to get better. And as I've kind of tweaked that diet and, and really learned as I went, I've now discovered, you know, not discovered, I've, I've basically, we've all, we're all rediscovering what human beings knew intuitively a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand years ago is that your diet is the most important thing in your health. Without exception, if you eat junk, you'll feel junky. And if you eat the best foods you can get your hands on, you will feel amazing. And so now I'm trying to share that with the world because uh, uh, an article came out in the Tennessean, that's the big state newspaper here in Tennessee, that uh, my county, Benton County, was, was almost in dead last place as far as being the unhealthiest county in the state. And that really pissed me off. And I thought, you know, because I, I was kind of the bigger your doctor in the community. And I thought, that, I, that looks bad on me. That makes me look bad. I'm, I can't have that. And so I started out, my initial mission was to reverse the obesity and diabetes in Benton County. And I thought, well, that's silly. And about that same time, my wife, Nisha, I came home complaining about something that the American Medical Association had said or done. And she said, why don't you make a YouTube video? And I thought, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. <laughs> and about the 10th time she said that, I thought, you know what? Fine. I'm sick of hearing that. I'm just going to make a YouTube video. And I had a little channel that I had some videos of my daughters being silly. And it was just a fun little family channel. And so I made a, a YouTube video and it did well. And obviously looking back now, we can all see that Nisha Salisbury uh, was right and I was wrong. That was not stupid. That was very smart to start a YouTube channel. And so I, I try to make a YouTube video uh, at least once, if not twice a week. And I'm working on some other books now and, and just trying to basically, I've, I've expanded my mission to reverse type 2 diabetes and obesity in the country and maybe even the world. It's it, because these are self-inflicted conditions. People unknowingly inflict type 2 diabetes, fatty liver, obesity. All these things are at least in large part self-inflicted, but people don't know they're doing it because they believe, as I did back when I was a, a fat, stupid doctor, that humans are magical. We can eat whatever, and somehow our body is able to process that junk. That's an amazing story, and kudos to Nisha. Uh, for having you 
set up that YouTube channel because the rest is history. It's one of the most popular uh, YouTube channels in keto. Very well done. Uh, not only do patients watch it, but providers uh, like myself and a lot of mid-level practitioners and doctors watch it as well. And a question I have for you, because we received a lot of questions when I made the announcement on my Instagram that you were going to be on our podcast, is a lot of providers uh, messaged me and they wanted to know how you went about empowering yourself to evolve your practice uh, based on the latest research and science on the ketogenic diet and what catapulted you to write your book lies my doctor told me yeah uh, it's 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 kind of a, a long story but I'll try to truncate it um, I've always kind of been an iconoclast and always been a question answer I think the first word I ever said my first word as a baby was wine and so that literally every, if there are any providers listening, that should be your first question. Every time you get a, a guideline from your regulating body, from your medical board, from your whatever is why, why is that? Why does that make sense? Why did you say that? <clears throat> the motivation matters and also the origin matters. And, you know, the, I don't think there's a, an answer to that question many times as to why the American Heart Association, why did they just say that? What is that? How does that even make any sense? And uh, you can often find me on Twitter slapping the ADA and the AHA around because they're currently, they seem to be schizophrenic or something. I'm not sure what's wrong with them. They, they really have lost their way. Uh, but so I, if you are a standalone provider, you will be taking a risk it's a small risk, but it's a risk nonetheless of, of, of openly recommending a dietary intervention for established disease processes. That is a small risk. If, if someone filed a complaint with your state regulatory board, there would be an investigation. You might or might not get deemed with a fine or some probation or some uh, mandatory extra education to remind you that the American Heart Association is the expert in this area, not you. Uh, but I think that most of us, if you've read my book and you've you know watched some YouTube videos, you realize that when you hear the bell ring, you cannot unhear the bell, and and there and, and you're duty bound because many of us took a literal oath, and I think all of us took a, a spiritual or symbolic oath that we will first do no harm to our patients, and if you are recommending a diet that that you discover is actually doing harm to your patients, is increasing their A1C, is increasing their their levels of inflammation, then you are ethically, morally bound if you have any ethics and morals, to not do that anymore, to stop that. And so some people are very ninja-like in their recommendation of keto or low-carb. Some people um, are, are, you know, they'll say, well, now I have to recommend the American Heart Association diet for you, but here's a pamphlet you might be interested in. And then a lot of mid-level providers are kind of trapped because uh, in Tennessee, you have to have a, a supervising physician technically, even though you can have a standalone clinic. But I understand other states, you don't have to have a supervising physician. But there are many PAs and nurse practitioners, at least in Tennessee and some other states, who their doctor, their supervising physician is not on board with keto or carnivore or you know, low carb or any of it. And so they have to be very surreptitious. They have to, you know, slip a pamphlet in the, the, the new patient stuff, or they have to, you know, they'll just write my YouTube channel down on a, 
on a, a post-it note and say, here, here's the official diet I have to give you, but check out this YouTube channel. And so a lot of people do that ninja level stuff because they they feel morally duty bound to help this person eat the proper human diet. And the current ADA diet for diabetics, well, without exception, makes diabetics more diabetic. And so Absolutely. if you're a standalone provider, then you've got more liberty. Keeping in mind that, you know, uh, the your regulatory board has to investigate any complaint. And so if you have a, if there's another provider in the community that's you know, vehemently anti-keto, if they report and they can report you anonymously, and I've actually had this happen multiple times. I've, I've been around the way with the Tennessee State Medical Board more than once because of anonymous um, complaints. And so you might get that. But keep in mind, if you feel, if you feel like that you're being a healthcare provider is more than just a job, if it's just a job to you, then you should probably just shut up and not recommend any of this if you want to keep your job. But if, if you feel a, a moral obligation to do the best you can for your patients and to and help them have the best health, both mental and physical, that they can have, then you have no choice but to recommend this diet. And you might get in a little hot water, but I think, you know, in the big picture, that's a small consequence for doing the right thing. Absolutely. You know, and thank God for courageous doctors like yourself. Speaking from experience, Doc, you know, I was following the standard medical advice, following the advice that my doctors gave me, and I got to over 500 pounds, diabetic. I remember when they gave me the recommended diet, <clears throat> it was over 300 grams of carbs a day. Yep. If That's I had been eating standard. that for the last several years, there's no doubt I would have been dead. I'd be missing parts of my body. Yep. And, you know, there's so many people in that position that are trying. I paid a nutritionist for a year, followed her advice, actually gained weight. I got yes. sicker. My diverticulitis yep. got worse. It was only when I decided to go off grid, to go rogue, to take matters in my own hands, to follow some, uh, you know, crazy doctors like yourself that everything changed and I've been yep. able to lose 220 pounds and counting, diabetes gone, reversed all of my serious heart disease or all of my diseases off all of my medications. And, you know, I just I was wondering if you might talk to people that are listening right now that are in that position, that are stuck, that have the pain of obesity, the pain of diabetes and just feel like they don't know where to turn. What would your advice to them be? The, the advice is, is very simple. Your diet absolutely matters. It is the foundation that your health or your lack of health is built on. Uh, that would be uh, maximum number one. Maximum number two would be that it's quite possible that your doctor and or your nutritionist or dietitian doesn't know a damn thing about the actual care and feeding of the human animal. They literally might not know what they're talking about. I'm not saying they're nefarious or there's a conspiracy. They are well-intentioned. They, they mean the best. They just don't know what they're talking about. And it's a very dangerous combination when you combine arrogance with ignorance. And looking back at my early medical practice, that's exactly what I was. I would, I would have told you if you'd have come to my practice, 
dude, you need to join the gym and join Weight Watchers, okay? You need to eat less and move more. Obviously, you're sitting around all day eating Cheetos, and you need to stop it. Like, that would have literally been my cocky, ignorant advice. And so let's say you did that. Let's say you said, okay, and you join the gym, and you're, you're morbidly obese, and you're trying to run on the treadmill, and you join Weight Watchers, and Weight Watchers tells you to eat lots of whole grains, and you don't even have to count fruit for points. And so you could literally eat 14 pounds of, of, of cantaloupe and watermelon every day. You would get fatter and more diabetic, and you would also be blowing out your knees on that treadmill. So you would be skyrocketing your risk of having to have a knee replacement because, you know, you're inflamed and sick and morbidly obese. And here you are taking my stupid advice and running on the treadmill. How did I help you in any way? I didn't help you at all. And so people listening have to realize your doctor may just not know this yet. And that's okay. Don't get mad at your doctor. I've had many nurse practitioners and quite a few doctors come to me at the, the conferences I speak at and say, you know, I watched your YouTube video and I realized I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And, and I, the only reason I watched your YouTube video was after the 10th patient had said to me respectfully, doctor, I'm afraid you don't know what you're talking about. You should check this guy out. He said, my patients taught me. I've heard, I've had that been told to me multiple times at a, at a conference. My patients taught me about keto. And so don't, don't get mad at your doctor. Don't necessarily fire your doctor. Have a conversation with your doctor and say, look, doc, I've been, you know, I know I'm just a mechanic or whatever you do for a living, but I've been watching some YouTube videos about anthropology, about nutrition. And it really seems like that human beings should eat lots of fatty meat and a little bit of veg. It looks like that's the right diet for us. What do you think about that? And if your doctor's willing to have a conversation and read an article and watch a YouTube video, then you might be on the way to establishing a beautiful medical partnership with your doctor. And you may be teaching your doctor something that your doctor didn't know. And, and that's possible. That happens. Now, sometimes you just have to fire your damn doctor. That's just all it is, because if, if they have too much arrogance mixed, mixed in with their ignorance, they're probably a lost cause. And you need to find somebody else to uh, entrust your health to. Absolutely. And that's where the learn, lead, and share initiative that you talk, talked about so eloquently at the Keto Fest this past summer uh, comes in, where you really encourage not only providers, but all of the uh, members of the ketogenic community that are transforming their health to just get out and start sharing their story and spreading the information. And yeah. that, that's one of the things that I really appreciate in how well written your book is, uh, which is now available on audio guys. So uh, make sure you check that out um, where you clearly explain what the issue and what the myth is and then give people some ground zero resources. And a lot of people that are reading this book are in the second half of life. They're reinventing themselves. Uh, they're evolving with the science, kind of how, how you have been. I know that you turned 50, you started a carnivore diet, you, you've been weightlifting, and you've had some adversity this past year. How, how have you been reinventing yourself and going about that and kind of shifting your mindset? And what advice would you have for people that are in the second half of life? My, my number one piece of advice for anybody who's 40 or older is that number one, you ain't old. Okay. 
you are not old. I'm sorry. You need to stop using that as an excuse or stop using that as a reason. Uh, we are all athletes, regardless of our age. And by athlete, I don't mean you need to be running the Boston Marathon. I mean that you can train your body and mind, and your body and mind will respond and improve if you are giving your body the proper building materials, which is the proper human diet. That, and so there we are, back to diet again. The absolute bedrock that you build your health, both mental and physical, on if you get your diet right, your diet proper, then yes, yeah, I've had patients. Well, I'll tell you a, a great story. I had a guy who was 87 years old. He went, he went keto. He had lost, I don't know, 80 pounds, reversed his type 2 diabetes. And he came into the clinic one day. He was, I mean, in pain. And he came in, and I, I had gotten his ER record. He had been in a, in a four-wheeler accident, which is like a, an ATV. And rolled over, had a wreck, and he broke four ribs. He had a flailed chest. He was in the hospital for a couple of days, this 87-year-old guy. And so he got back there, and I, we were, you know, exchanging pleasantries. And I'm like, what the hell were you doing? He said, oh, Doc, I was showing out for my girlfriend, and I wrecked the, the four-wheeler. So that, that's the life you can have if you get your diet corrected. And so that's one of my favorite stories. I love that guy to death. He's still showing, showing off for his girlfriend to this day, as far as I know. But you can have that once you get your diet corrected. And so I want people to understand it's not too late, no matter where you're at in your health journey. I don't care if you weigh 500 pounds. I don't care if your A1C is 14. I don't care if you've already lost a leg to your diabetes. I don't care if you've got cirrhosis because of your fatty liver disease. You can reverse your chronic medical condition to an amazing degree by correcting your diet. And a lot of people hear, oh, I gotta go, I gotta join the gym. No, no, I have, I have paraplegics in my practice who have reversed their obesity and they're in a wheelchair, okay? You do not have to run on the treadmill to reverse your, uh, your diabetes or your obesity. And that's actually a chapter in the book. Exercise is great for your body and your brain in hundreds of ways, but it's not going to help you lose weight. That's been pretty much established without doubt in the medical literature. Exercise is a terrible method of weight loss. It just doesn't work. Uh, so you can lose the fat by fixing your diet. And what usually happens for most people on their keto journey is that they'll lose a ton of weight and then all of a sudden, they feel like exercising. And it's their idea. They're like, you know, I feel so good. I think I'm going to go for a walk. Or I feel I've always wanted to learn, you know, jujitsu. I've always wanted to do something physical, but I've always been overweight. I couldn't do it. I think now I'm going to give it a try. And I find in my experience that, that the exercise comes a distant second. You fix your diet, and that fixes the obesity. Then you get to go outside and play. Yes. And I would just like to highlight that point because uh, I know Chris has a question for you. And this is for um, everybody with spinal cord injury out there that the exercise on the treadmill, as Dr. Berry said, it's not essential for the weight loss. Um, there's a lot that you can do uh, for nerve regeneration and recovery and neuroprotective and motor with a ketogenic diet that can also help with uh, weight 
weight gain, obesity. Uh, so this is for all my guys with quad equina syndrome that will be listening to this episode. Um, so please take note of what Dr. Barry just said. It's a very important point. Yeah, the human body has all, I mean, it, it really is a magical ability. And, and my definition of magic is just biology and chemistry that we don't understand yet. That's what magic is, right? And so the body has this magical ability to heal. And I don't know if we can speed that up or not, but I know we can definitely slow it down and muck it up by eating a crappy diet. You And so if you have some sort of neurological condition or any medical or mental condition, your body can work towards reversing that. But the first thing you've got to do is stop poisoning your body and your minds with the slow poison that is the standard Western diet. You have to stop that stuff. Eating sugar every day is a slow poison. It's not going to kill you today or tomorrow, but it's going to slow down that magical healing process and it's going to cause chronic diseases. You got to stop the grains. They are a slow poison for all human beings. Now, for some human beings with celiac, they're a much faster poison, right? But for, and for years, I thought I could eat grains fine. And I, celiac was on my radar and, and gluten sensitivity was on my radar, but I couldn't find a medical test that I could check in the, in the blood work to say, yes or no, this person has that. So I thought, well, I don't understand what's going on here, but I do believe some people are gluten sensitive. Now, looking back, I realize we're all grain sensitive. Gra eating grains is much preferable to starving to death. No doubt about it. But if you can do better than that, you should, grains of any kind should never pass your lips. And I think the same goes for industrial seed oils like canola, corn oil, margarine, Crisco, shortening, all that crap. It's not going to kill you today or tomorrow, but it is a slow poison that's made in a factory that is not good for the human body. And it will slow down your body's magical ability to heal itself. Awesome. Yeah, and, and obviously one of the issues today is this over-reliance upon pharmaceutical medication. Uh, talk about magical. Um, you yeah. know, I've got friends and family members with diabetes who they say uh, very confidently, oh, yeah, I, I can eat whatever I want. I just take this. Or, right. look, I have this little turbo boost button on my insulin pump. I just press this button, and then I can have the piece of cake. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had a friend, unfortunately, lost part of his foot. And yeah. he's been following this magical elixir <laughs> that's supposed to save him from all of these troubles. Um, there's a popular over-the-counter medicine. I love their commercials. Their, their tagline is, eat your way, treat your way. Ah. And to me, that just sums up yeah. kind of our modern approach. Yeah, you can yeah. eat whatever you want. You just yeah. treat with this and you'll be fine. I was wondering if you could talk to that point. Absolutely. I think most human beings believe in magic. And I think we intuitively, we understand that there are things we don't understand. And that's, the again, that's the definition of magic. If something's happening and we don't understand how it's happening. But, and so we, we, ha we all have this belief in magic, but so many people have been tricked by television commercials and advertisements and magazines to believe that there's magic in that pill or magic in that injection or magic in this powder or this shake. 
That's where we believe the magic is. And we're ignoring the actual magic that, that can come from eating the proper human diet and the healing that your body can do and the chronic disease reversal that your body's capable of if you stop poisoning it. So, yes, there, you, there is magic to believe in, but it ain't in that damn pill. I can tell you that right now. The magic's inside of you. And the magic is in the food that you eat or don't eat. That's where the magic's at. And that's, I think that's one of the things that so many people who eat low-carb keto carnivore, that's why there are so many uh, dis, uh, apostles out there, so many keto preachers, because they're like, no, guys, you don't understand. This is the magic. That pill is not the magic. I took that pill for 20 years, and I just got sicker and sicker. The magic is in your refrigerator. The magic's at the grocery. The magic is inside of you. And so, yeah, I mean, big pharma and big food would love for you to believe the, the twin lies that you can eat anything you want and you can take this pill or this injection and it's going to be okay. That Those are big fat lies. And I mean, these two lies have killed more people than Hitler. I'm sorry, yep. but they have. And it's time. And that's, that's why I fight this fight I fight uh, on Twitter and on all social media and with the book and with the more, the other book ideas I've got is because these lies kill people. And I'm, I'm curious as to when the first class action lawsuit is going to occur against the ADA or against the AHA. I think they're probably already in the works because these guys are, they've been tasked with saving people and helping people. And they've been doing the exact opposite for decades. And I mean, there's going to be repercussions for that. I'm afraid. And so I don't, I don't know how that'll play out. I just want people to focus on their own personal health and the health, the mental health and the, and the physical health of their family. If you take care of that, then you'll make the world a better place. You will by definition. And there's nothing truer than that. With uh, just to kind of piggyback on this, um, several of the other questions that I received from uh, Instagram followers, um, for you is in regards to the carnivore diet, there's a little bit of controversy over uh, whether you could just eat steak or eggs, nose to tail, how to properly implement a carnivore diet. And while we're still learning about this and learning about the science, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, several um, members in the community follow you know, ketogenic diet, questioning whether they should go carnivore. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to those points. Um, yep. Is is there a patient population that would benefit more so from a carnivore diet versus uh, doing a ketogenic diet, or what factors do you see at play, and, and what's your what's your opinion on that? So I I consider the carnivore diet to be a subset of the ketogenic diet because you're essentially eating zero carbs, so it is the lowest uh, carb diet you can possibly eat, and so. I think there is a range of the proper human diet for some people, depending on their, their ancestral background and their gut DNA, they may need to eat a, a veg heavy keto diet. There are other people who absolutely thrive on a fatty meat carnivore diet and eat no plant matter whatsoever. So first let's dispel the myth that you have to have plants for some magical nutrients that are in them, the phytonutrients, right? Uh, if I took if I took someone two people and I locked them in my barn in Holiday, Tennessee, and I fed one of them only plants, they could eat any plant from anywhere in the world, but they they couldn't have any supplements and they could only have plants. And I took someone else 
and locked them in the barn and said, you can only eat animal product foods. It has to come from an animal. You can eat as much as both, both of them can eat as much as they want. They could eat from anywhere in the world. So if this, if this veggie eater wanted some berry from the tip top Himalayan mountains that only bloomed every 10 years, they could have that. Who would develop a vitamin or mineral deficiency first? So the answer to that is, it's a trick question, and it's a double answer. First of all, the, the, the vegan, which is what that person would be, they would develop multiple vitamin and mineral deficiencies. You have to have animal foods in your diet, at least to some degree, to satisfy a list of vitamins and minerals and fatty acids that you just cannot get from vegetables. And I'm not anti-vegetable. So my guy over here in the barn who's eating animal products, how long will it be before he develops a vitamin and mineral deficiency? The answer is never. He will never. If he's eating liver and other organs and eating nose to tail, he can live in my barn and live to a ripe old age and have a six pack when he dies because there is no nutri nutrient deficit in animal foods. You can get every single thing the human body needs from animal foods. And so that triggers some people because they believe in the magic that's, that, that they think is in plants. They believe in phytonutrients. And, but the problem is, is there are carnivores who have been eating nothing but ribeye for 20 years and they're doing great. Uh, you just had Sean Baker on, I think, who's a friend of mine. He eats nothing but fatty red meat. He never, he hates liver. He won't eat organs. I don't think he drinks bone broth. I think he just basically eats ribeyes every day and eggs. He, he looks great. He does great. He's 52. He, he's strong as an ox. He's, he's sharp. He's quick. I mean, he's great. He's perfect for a 52-year-old. Uh, who, who at 52 wouldn't like to look like Sean Baker if you're a dude, right? All of us would. So uh, him, and then there are other carnivores who have been eating nothing but muscle meat, fatty muscle meat, for longer than him, for 20 years. They, have no, they don't have scurvy. They don't have any phytonutrient deficiencies. Their lab work is pristine. They are very athletic. They're very uh, successful physically and mentally. How can you say that's not part of the proper human diet? And so when I first started this uh, years ago, I considered keto just a weight loss diet. I didn't, I didn't consider it the proper human diet. But the more I do this, the more I realize, yeah, if you're eating somewhere on the, the keto carnivore spectrum with no products, no pills, no powders, no bars, no shakes, none of that crap. If you're eating real whole food, you, you're going to get every nutrient you need and you're going to thrive physically and mentally. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, you, we can, if, if we're quibbling between, hey, I want to be a keto vegetarian or I want to be a carnivore, either way I win. And you're welcome. If that's the argument. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy if people are having that argument because they're not eating any of the slow poison crap that they used to eat. Yes. And that's such an important point. And another uh, question that I had for you is you recently did an um, exceptional video on polycystic ovarian syndrome on your YouTube channel that was very popular among women. And hormones are a question that a lot of women have on the carnivore diet and the ketogenic yeah. diet. And I'm just wondering if you can speak to that. Um, because the question is, a lot of women ask, is it safe for me to do a carnivore diet? Is it safe for me to do a keto diet with a hormonal problem? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the, the women in my practice before the clinic fire, 
I was checking lab work on people every three months or every six months, depending on their age and their condition. Women's hormones, without exception, get better the more fatty meat they eat. Okay, and so if you if you still feel ethically compelled to eat some veg, that's fine. But if you have Hashimoto's, if you have PCOS, if you have endometriosis, if you have any of the hormonal issues that are very common for women, it will improve the more fatty meat you eat and, and, and the more butter you eat, the more egg yolks you eat. All of those things hack your hormones in the proper direction. And hack is the wrong word. I've got to find another word because that implies a modern, you know, a modern workaround. And this is not a modern hack. This is actually an ancient cure. Uh, because back in the day, 50,000 years ago, when they killed one of these fatty animals, the women would get the ovaries. The women would get the thyroid. If you were a pregnant woman, you definitely got the, some of the liver. Like it, this was known. You, they ate the organs and they got the, the fattiest cuts of meat because they needed that for their hormone health. And now we've been, we've been taught by a, a mainstream media and a growing vegan mouthpiece that I think is basically funded by big food because you can make anything out of vegetables very, very cheaply, but it meat is expensive. And so if you want a, a shelf stable product that sits on the shelf for 10 years and never goes bad and you can make a thousand percent profit on, you got to make that out of grains and sugars and industrial seed oils and other, other vegan products. Uh, we've been taught that no women need this certain vegetable or this certain berry or this certain, they need carb ups they need to carb cycle and all that's it's silly superstition. It's not based on any uh, meaningful research, first of all, which we all, if we're a, a healthcare provider, we need to be looking at the meaningful research. But then it's not even really echoed by our ancestral, uh, our ancestors. They didn't do that. They didn't go and pick special berries for the pregnant women. They gave them the liver when they when they killed a, a buffalo that's they got part of the liver and they got the fat around the kidneys and the fat around the eye socket because that was the most nutrient dense fat that they could give them that's cool <clears throat> you, you know i love with your message doc it's it's all about trusting the body and the magic from within and you know so much of what we do is today is designed to kind of go against the body's natural inborn healing processes. I mean, you get a little cold, your body raises its fever to, you know, burn out the pathogen. First thing we do, reach for something that's going to stop the fever. Your yep. body starts to cough to expel the pathogen from your alveoli and your lungs. First thing we do is grab, uh, you know, cough medicine. And I, I was wondering if you could talk to, some of the natural techniques that people should be turning to things like sunshine and cold and, and maybe talk a little bit about supplements and their role yeah. or the, or sure. the lack of use that we should have for them. Yeah. So <clears throat> first thing you got to understand is the human body is smarter than any doctor out there. The end, end of story. Okay. End of story. And so anytime, and so for the last 50 years, we as a, a, a modern society, we've been in love with progress and technology. And don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-technology. I've got my, my ear, ear pods, I can't even remember. I mean, I've got those in, I'm using an iPhone 10, I'm on Wi-Fi, 
I've got my electricity turned. I mean, I, I love modern convenience. There's no doubt about that. But there are some things that, that technology just ain't better than. And one of them is the human body and the mechanisms that have come either through creation or through evolution, whatever your personal belief is, but nonetheless, they're still there. And acute inflammation is one of those things. And so a lot of people in the keto community think that inflammation is a bad word and you don't want that. So we have to differentiate between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation is your enemy and keto will help reverse that. But acute inflammation is a good thing and you want that. That is the first step in your body's healing process. And I, I posted a YouTube video recently about rice, rest, ice, compression and elevation for a sprained joint. And the video, uh, YouTube's not really pushing it out because I don't think it knows how to characterize it because rice is exactly the wrong thing that you should do. You are fighting against your body's first step in the healing process, right? So when you sprain a joint or when you get a, a, a sinus infection or when you get any acute attack on your body, whether it's trauma or a virus or a bacteria, your body has four defense mechanisms that immediately jump into play. You get edema, you get heat, you get swelling, right? And you get redness. Those are the four cardinal signs of acute inflammation. And so your doctors want, want you to put ice on it. They want you to take an anti-inflammatory. They want you to, to, you know, not walk on it at all. All that's completely wrong. It's completely backwards. You actually slow the healing process down and you greatly increase the risk of this short-term acute injury becoming a long-term chronic persistent injury. So many people have got a, an ankle that's still tweaky 10 years after they had sprained it that one time, or a knee that still bothers them. And it's because when they, when they sprained that ankle, they immediately started taking ibuprofen, they iced it down, they wrapped it up, they didn't walk on it for six weeks, and they literally handicap their body's healing process by doing that and increase the risk of that becoming a chronic injury when it could have, you know, and I've had, I had a ton of comments on that YouTube video saying, yeah, I ignored everything my doctor said and the severe sprained ankle was completely well in two weeks. Right. And I, that happens all the time in people who are kind of woke that the body knows how to heal itself. It don't need the, the damn doctor's help unless you've torn a ligament that's just not going to heal, you might need a surgical procedure. Or if you've got a compound fracture or a, you know, or a complete dislocation, yeah, you need to go see the doctor, definitely. But if you sprain your ankle, if you get a sinus infection, if you get bronchitis, if you get gastroenteritis, there's no pill that the doctor is going to be able to give you that will help that heal quicker. Now, the, some of the pills may mask the symptoms. It may make the pain better. It may make the swelling better. But wait a minute. The pain and the swelling, those are the cardinal signs of your body healing itself. So should you mask those? Should you mute that edema? Should you try to get the swelling out? Or is the swelling a good thing? And so any healthcare providers, please go watch that video and think about Acute inflammation is that is the first step in the healing cascade. Stop handicapping your patient's bodies by giving them anti-inflammatories and telling them to ice down uh, musculoskeletal acute injuries. It's, it's ignorant advice. Stop giving that advice. And the same goes for 99% of sinus infections. You do not need an anti-inflammatory. 
You do not need an antibiotic. God forbid you do not need an antibiotic for that. Same goes for bronchitis that you've had for 24 or 48 hours. If your doctor gives you Cipro for that, throw that in the garbage. You do not need that. If they, if you have two days of diarrhea and they give you Flagyl or Metronidazole, you do not need that. If you've had this infection for a week or two and you've got a fever of 104, you may have a bacterial infection that you need an antibiotic for. But doctors and, and, and healthcare providers, we feel duty bound to do something. And very, very often when a patient goes to the doctor, the best thing the doctor can do is to do nothing because their body's going to heal. But we, then we feel, I feel guilty. They had to pay a $35 copay. They waited in the waiting room for two hours. Yeah, providers, I get that. So should you do nothing or should you do something that's actually going to hamper the healing process and potentially cause disastrous gut symptoms for two or three months by giving them an unneeded antibiotic? And I think healthcare providers, uh, you, can, you can let yourself off the hook for writing that prescription. If you'll just say something like, look, there's a 90% chance this is, you don't need this antibiotic. I'm going to go ahead and write it for you, but feel free not to fill it. Just put it in your purse, put it in your wallet and forget about it. And if you're not better in a week, go get it. That's fine. But wait a few days and give your body time to heal this sinusitis or your, or this, this sprained ankle or this bronchitis or this uh, gastroenteritis. Give your body time. If you're not better in a week, then by all means, go get that prescription and fill it. That way you've done something as a provider, but you've also given your patient an out to not take that potentially disastrous pill unless they feel like they truly need it. Because doctors, we feel like patients want a prescription, right? Because that's, that's what doctors do. We write prescriptions. But give your patient an out. You've still given them the prescription, but give them the option to wait a week before they fill it. And I think that would that's going to just help people understand, wow, my body healed on its own. Because if they start taking that antibiotic, they're going to get better in three to seven days, whether they take it or not. Then they think the magic pill did it. But if they if they put that prescription in their purse for a week, then they know that their magic body did it. Their body healed itself. That pill didn't help a damn thing. The prescription's still in your purse, right? And I think moving towards that model of acute care, and there's so many people in many clinics who practice there and, you know, and, and, and uh, little clinics, and they're like, I've got to do something or people will never come back and we won't have any repeat business. I bet you you'll have repeat business if you help people understand that their body is magical and it will heal itself and it, you, they don't need to take that pill. The body is absolutely magical. I 100% agree with that. Uh, one of the greatest life lessons I learned was when I was recovering from my disc herniation, uh, which, as you know, caused quadra equina syndrome. So it was a well, rare partial spinal cord injury um, to my lumbar spine. And I just started listening to my body and its cues. And two things I noticed immediately was I was not hungry and I was exhausted. So I gave in to sleep and accidental fasting. And that put me into ketosis and I started, you know, the keto diet um, and the rest is history. What, what are some of your thoughts on sleep and fasting as part of the healing process? Sleep and fasting are two very natural uh, optimizers of human healing. And we, we know this because you can see this in other mammals. If, if a mammal that's not a human sprains an ankle, what do they do? 
right? They, like, if a little fox is in the woods and he jumps off a big rock and he, he sprains his knee or ankle, does he, does he go and stick that in the icy brook and take some poo? No, he just he continues being a little fox. He, he limps around. He holds that leg up. But he uses the pain as a guide. If it hurts to do it, then he doesn't do it, right? But he'll lay around more and he'll sleep more and he won't eat. That is a hardwired healing mechanism. And so that that's that's why people we we had to come up with a thing, feed a cold, starve a fever, because when people get sick, they stop eating. And and that scares us. We think, oh God, they're they're gonna die, they're not even eating. But that's actually an ancient, ancient, way before recorded history strategy to help your body heal. Fasting is part of that magic. When you have some kind of inflammation, either chronic or acute, fasting is a great way to help your body speed the healing process. And when you're asleep, you ain't eating. So sleep is also, you know, you want to get great quality sleep. And that helps you not get sick in the first place, but it'll also help you heal faster uh, but I think the fasting is one of the most underrated things you can do if you have an acute or a chronic inflammation is do more fasting. You'll be shocked at how quickly you heal. Absolutely. Doc, you are a man on a mission and uh, every county in America needs a doctor just like you. <laughs> uh, tell us, you know, uh, as we wind down today, what are some other thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners just anything that you feel might be helpful to them in their journey i think it's important to realize the personal power that comes with eating the proper human diet and rediscovering fasting and rediscovering this the the benefits of good quality sleep i just saw a, a, on my facebook page a lady wrote she's like you know i used to feel powerless about my entire life I was in a marriage I didn't like. I worked two jobs I hated. I was fat. I was diabetic. And she said, you know, now that I've taken charge of my diet, because really nobody can make you eat anything. You get to choose if you eat or not. So you can choose to fast at any time. Nobody's going to force feed you. But you can also choose what foods you put in your mouth and which ones you don't. So no matter what position you're in in your life currently, and you may feel completely helpless and powerless. You have power. And when you start to exert the power, on not eating and you start to exert your power on what you eat, it becomes immediately obvious that you're not as powerless as you thought you were. And I don't know if it's because you just become more mentally aware and alert and you can think better if you're feeding your brain the proper food or if taking back that little bit of power helps you realize, oh, I could also take back my power in this other arena as well. People, human beings are powerful, powerful beings. I mean, we're, we're super, we're superheroes. All of us are. And I think that we, we forget that. We think we need to eat this food that we saw advertised on TV. We think we need big pharma to help us be the best human we can be. And in actuality, we're all Avengers, but we're, we've, we've poisoned ourselves both mentally and physically with the food and the pills and the, and the inappropriate ideas that we get from mainstream media. But these people are rediscovering the power that it is to be them. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when a woman who thinks she was powerless, who thinks she was trapped, quote unquote, to realize, no, this, this cage I've been in, I've got the key in my pocket. I can walk out of this at any time. And when you get your diet, corrected and when you get your the way you think about your life corrected and you get your sleep corrected and you do some fasting 
you just reach in your pocket and get the key out and you unlock the cage and you're like, boom, I'm free of all this. And that I, I see that happening more and more. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the big food and big pharma, they might as well forget trying to shut up keto and carnivore. And I mean, they might as well forget that they can spend all the billions they want to. You once a, once a man or woman is realized I've got the key to my cage, you not going to shut that person up. I mean, they're going to have to start putting people in literal cages because they'll never shut up about that because they're we're we're happy to share a good message with our fellow humans. It's like, no, you don't have to suffer that. You don't have to do that. There is a solution. Awesome. Well, Doc, this has been fantastic. This might be my favorite episode yet. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for pointing all of our listeners back to themselves, back to nature, back to where the real magic is. How can, how can these people find you? So I've got a website, which Nisha will get me if I don't talk about it, kendyberrymd.com. I do a lo- most of my work on YouTube and Facebook. And if you search Dr. Ken Berry, I think you'll find me there. Uh, I've got the book, which is uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me. It's a, there's a paperback, there's a Kindle, and now it's on Audible. So if, you, if you're an over-the-road driver or you drive hours a day, that's a great way to get this knowledge without having to sit down and read a book. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on Vero and Gab and, and TikTok and all these because I'm really committed to reaching everybody of all ages and all walks of life. You got to go to where the people are and social media these days, that is the new word of mouth. And so if you want to tell your neighbor something, you don't go and knock on their door because that's weird these days. They're like, what the hell? Why are you knocking on my door? Why are you, why are you calling me on the phone? Don't call me. So you go to social media to talk to your next door neighbor. That's how you do it these days. That is the new word of mouth. And so that's that's where I'm putting the majority of my efforts. Um, I am working on starting back up a small practice here in Nashville. But as Nisha said one day, you know, if you work like a dog in the clinic, you can maybe help 40 people a day. But if you make one YouTube video, you can help 40,000 people. And I mean, how I, I may be an ignorant, arrogant doctor, but that makes good damn sense right there, don't it? And so that's why I spend the majority of my time on social media trying to spread this word. And anytime somebody shares one of my videos, here's the beauty of social media. You can be a literally unemployed factory worker. And if you share one of my videos, you can save somebody's life. That's the craziness of our modern society. And that's how you can use technology to talk about these ancient concepts. And it's just, it's just the most beautiful marriage of technology and our ancestral way of living. I love it. And I try to, I try to use it every day. And so I'm out there just search for me. Absolutely. And you're using it so well. Uh, you've impacted millions of lives and social media is the way of modern medicine. Now it's, it's how yeah. uh, patients are getting their information. And I really commend you for the exceptional teacher and the exceptional leader that you are. Um, you know, kind of paving the way and what a lot of people call this grassroots movement. Um, I, I truly think this is going to explode in the next decade and hopefully it will start getting us thinking and, you know, doing more research and improving our health guidelines and how we manage metabolic disease and obesity in this country. 
Yeah, I t- totally agree. And I think the change will come from the bottom up. It'll come from people just like me and just like you. And when I say you, I'm talking to you, the person listening to this podcast. Yeah, you felt that little calling, like maybe I should, maybe, I, yeah, you should. You should do that. You should start that YouTube channel and you should start that Facebook page and you should share that video because that's how we're going to change the world. Never is the American Diabetes Association going to hold a press conference and say, you know, that, that, that 300 grams of carbs a day, that diet we gave you, that was stupid. We were completely wrong. Stop doing that. Start listening to Dr. Barry. That's never going to happen. This is going to come from neighbor sharing with neighbor, from family member sharing with family member. And maybe sometimes they don't want to hear it. And they may pretend they don't hear it, but they're still listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Barry. We appreciate it. Guys, run out and buy this book. Uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me. It's exceptional. And I just want to end with learn, lead, and share. Yes, that's it. Enough said. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, guys. See Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best-tasting and most mineral-rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.